Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. In the 1700s, Champagne's unique business dynamic was cemented when monastic production shifted to large commercial production houses that bought from smaller growers. And in the 1800s, Champagne became stylistically defined as pale still reds similar to Burgundy began to be replaced by bubbly wine. Then the 1900s saw the region of Champagne through some incredible changes. That hundred years may have been one of the most transformative periods in history of a French wine region. At the beginning of the 20th century, several grape producers accused champagne houses of undercutting local growers by sourcing grapes from outside the region, which forced the landowners to sell their grapes for less. This, plus damages from phylloxera and a couple of bad harvests, put local growers under extreme financial duress and Champagne riots took place. The issues of the Champagne riots uncovered the need for geographic delineations of where Champagne grapes can come from. But before the details could be worked out, World War I erupted, and Champagne took another hit as the region was positioned right near the Western Front. During this conflict, Champagne lost much of its population and many people moved down into the cellars to live and be safe from bombings. Vineyards and building infrastructure were destroyed by warfare and conflict. After the war, as the people still living in the region picked up the pieces, many replanted with phylloxera-resistant rootstocks and revived sentiments about an AOC system. By 1919, the appellation was, in part, put into place to address the concerns of the small growers and to protect them from completely losing their livelihood at the whim of a larger house. But soon after this victory, major markets closed around the globe. The Russian Revolution greatly decreased champagne exports to Russia, and the United States declared prohibition. Then the Great Depression dried up many other global markets. But just when prohibition was repealed, things started looking up for champagne. The global economy was healing, and new markets began to open up. Until World War II once again crippled the global trade. 
So in the first half of the century, Champagne, and many other wine regions, endured phylloxera, riots, the destruction of their vineyards and towns, two world wars, global depression, the loss of many of their citizens, and the loss of major export markets. But the region also used this devastation as an opportunity to start fresh. They replanted vineyards on sturdy rootstocks, they established a protective AOC system, and they continued to carve out a cultural space for their unique product. Out of the destruction of the early half of the century, the region collectively positioned themselves, agriculturally and stylistically, for the success of the second half of the 1900s. So by the 1950s, global sales were up, and the desperate times seemed past. New machinery and technology made viticulture, bottling, disgorging, riddling, and aging much easier and cost-effective. In the 1960s, if you take a look at the champagne available at top New York restaurants, you'll see only a few names. Names like Bollinger, Krug, Moet, Laurent Perrier, Pomery, Roterer, Tatanger. While these producers still dominate some markets, the champagne landscape is much more diverse today. Part of the reason for the slim export markets in the 1960s was that champagne trade routes to and from U.S. markets needed to be reforged in the post-war days. Also, shipping sparkling wine has always been trickier than shipping still wine. In the 1970s, we start to see some more diversity, and many of the growers we see in the market today laid the foundations of their businesses in this decade. The 1980s were marked by an unprecedented effort from Champagne to protect their name. The restriction of the term Champagne to be used only on products from Champagne might be the most successful global campaign yet that claims control over intellectual property. And today, there are thousands of small growers producing their own wines. Many of them can be found in even the smallest markets in the U.S. Side by side against the larger houses, we see a unique conversation about quality emerge, a conversation that is new to the last few decades. At first, it seems simple, as if growers were all small production and terroir-driven, while big houses were mostly consistent blends. But nowadays, you'll find all sorts of special small parcel releases from larger houses, and you'll find some interesting blends from growers. Ultimately, Champagne is one of the few regions in the world where we seem to collectively agree that a fine wine may be a multi-vintage blend from many parcels, and a fine wine may also be a terroir-driven, single-grape, single-plot, single-year wine. We have room for both of them in our lives and on our wine lists. And I wonder, will this open-mindedness towards style and quality that we give to Champagne ever find its way to our mainstream approach to still wine? It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, 
offset commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com. Offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand. Alexander Chartagne of Chartagne and Taille on the show today. Hello, Levi. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Thank you for welcoming me. So you're in Merfey. Yes, I do. Uh, in Merfey, in the Massif de Saint-Thierry. Massif de Saint-Thierry is the northern part of La Montagne de Reims. Merfey, uh, I think if we have to speak about my village, it could spend hours because the most important thing about wine for me as a, only a grower is to take care about the village because I received everything from the past generations and Murphy gives me everything. Murphy, the soil of the village, the origin of the plants, everything comes from this place. So um, Murphy is the most important thing and not Alexandre. Um, Murphy gives me the grapes and I only try to translate to grapes into a wine which could be seen as a Murphy wine and not more or less than Murphy. And it's a bit of a unique terroir in that it has quite a bit of sand over the yes. chalk. Yes, um, that's what makes Murphy unique in the Champagne region. We are all used to drink chalky wines from the Champagne area. But at the beginning, in the region, we are all producing Champagne from many places. And Murphy is one of those places, so... It has a long history as a wine-growing uh, region. One of the oldest, if it's not the oldest. It's um, from the 7th century, and uh, the Romans have planted the land, and the ancestors continue to grow grapes there. So it's interesting, because we have a very old history. And uh, having a, a whole history is um, isn't important except if the past generations worked and writed about this history because it helps us work for every day. Their experience, their trails, etc. Uh, is really helpful for us because we do not begin from zero. We have a past and this past is useful if we hear what the ancestors are telling us. Especially in Champagne, where uh, in my region, everything were bombed. When the region were bombed, it means that, that we have lost all the land, the plants, the way how to produce wine in the region. It's something... You mean uh, in a world war? During the, the First World War, yeah. The first one were really hard for us because we were so bombed that we have lost a big, big part of the knowledge. And this knowledge is more than only informations. It's uh, a part of our DNA. It's uh, what could be interesting for us to know, to produce wine and to give to the next generation. 
It's not about me. It's more about 800, 900 years of work. And if I fail taking over my parents, and if I try to make new things, I can try to make you new things. But new things need to consider what people have made before. And uh, luckily, when we are in Murphy, there is a, a certain history with a certain knowledge, which is very important. We name it savoir-faire. I don't know if there is a word for this in English, but this savoir-faire is everything to begin. And in fact, you're fairly lucky because your ancestors back to the 1700 kept a journal. Yeah. I think it's quite original or unique in the region. So when I began, you know, I was working for uh, Monsieur Solos, who is in Aviz. This man is a genius about viticulture and vinification. Uh, he have a, a, a kind of relation with the vineyards, with the wines, and that produces great wines. But when I took over my parents, just after the internship I've made with him... Which was about 06 that you started back. Yes. Uh, during eight, nine months, I worked for him and tried to work also at home during the weekends to, to begin to begin and um, that was really interesting but quite stressing for me because when you are working for Anselm, uh, Anselm is quite known for the big wine lovers and he have many Grand Cru and certainly the most interesting or questioning wines. So uh, when you arrive in Murphy, you have many questions about what you can do, etc. And you need to find the savoir-faire and to understand the savoir-faire of the place. So it's not about so much translating techniques over, it's about understanding where you are. Yes, And exactly. he's an avisé and you are not. Yes, so uh, that's something we need to, to, to understand everything from the beginning. And I think I'm happy to be in Murphy because thanks to this, I had the curiosity to understand what's in the subsoil, in the soil, how the roots are, etc. So if I was maybe in a Grand Cru or in a place which were really well-known, maybe uh, that couldn't be as important as it, it is now to understand the place. The fact that to be in Murphy is something which is important for me because I, I needed to understand first to translate to the people who will drink it. And that made me make so many research that now I understood a place or I think I understood something in the place which makes my land and the Murphy village something interesting in wine. And you're sort of in an interesting position because you're the only RM, you're the only grower champagne producer in Murphy. Yes, and um, that's silly because if, if you look at the history, we had a Grand Cru place, Premier vin, uh, Vines. Now it's finished because of all the history uh, in the region, so I'm lucky to be the only one, certainly, but sometimes it's, it's sad because we could be many more and then we could share together. Today I'm quite alone, so um, thanks to my grandparents and all grandparents' memories, diary, I can understand things, but the rest is for me, so I need to make many research alone. So I wish in the future people will be more interested in Murphy to share the knowledge with me and maybe to to share with me about the things I couldn't 
try to understand. And what did you discover from the family journal? So many things, so many uh, from the parcel. You know, there is something which is now everywhere in the world. We are trying to find, to understand wine with easy words and uh, something really focused on very simple things. For example, uh, the champagne is something unique, but is like this, blending three grape varieties, etc. Champagne is much more like this, like um, much more every, than that. Yeah, yeah, because we have a region which is really rich in informations, and it's not only about Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier. It's not only about chalk. It's not only about second fermentation. It's really a wine region, such as Burgundy or uh, many regions who produces wine, and we have a good history, but. We definitely need to go to something to understand something which isn't as easy as what we are trying to do now. It's not only champagne, it's not only chalk, it's not only three gravities. It's much more than this. And we have a very rich region in terms of information, in terms of wines. And I'm quite sure in the future we'll discover many, many things about many parcels, many villages, many growers who will make us happy when we'll drink champagne. It's not a question of, of brand. And in a way, you're privileged in Merfi because you can have that sand, which gives a different expression to the fruit, but it also allows in certain instances for ungrafted vines. Yes. Um, luckily, I, 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 there is something funny, uh, not funny, but just after the Second World War, when Merfi didn't have many vines left, my grandparents didn't have the money to buy some grafted plants. So they decided to replant with ungrafted vines. That's cheap because they only had to cut and to replant with bouture. That's what they have made. So luckily I have two parcels of ungrafted plants in the south of the village. And that's something really curious. And uh, it's also something which makes the wine interesting, I think, because for me as a grower, every day the work is different in ungrafted plants compared to grafted ones. How so? Many things about how to prune it, how to harvest it. Just to give you an example, during the harvest, grafted plants takes more time to go to the ripeness. So ungrafted plants takes maybe seven days less to touch the perfect ripeness. And uh, that obliges me to make the harvest seven days, five days before the grafted ones. And the grapes, the clusters are, are smaller and the wines is often more shy or shyer. I don't know how we say um, in terms of contact with air. So we need really to take care of the wine, to be careful that the wine do not take too much air during the élevage, during the, I would say, vinification, but it's more than vinification. It's during the following of the wine. The bringing and maturation of the wine. Yes. Because a lot of times in other examples, and what well, I guess we should say it's Pinot Meunier that you have ungrafted, mm -hmm. and then you also have it grafted mm -hmm. in a different parcel. Yeah. A lot of times when I try comparisons like that, what I find in other areas of the world is that the one that's not grafted will seem riper even though it'll have less alcohol mm -hmm. and it'll be more approachable in youth. 
yeah. than the one that's grafted, which will be more stern, more reserved, and have higher alcohol with less approachable fruit. Yes, that, that's this. And and also because we, we could taste it in wine, but it's also interesting to taste it on the fruit and the fruit during the harvest. I bet it's, it is. It's something passionate, passionating, because we taste it, we see the fruit totally ripe, but it's really early for us. So uh, it's a big question. What will I do? Do I have to harvest it or not? And uh, it's something really different, but something passionating. It's not better. It's only different. And uh, we're really lucky to have this. But it's also something when you work with ungrafted plants, it's like uh, the origin of the plants. And what's important to try to understand is that the graft isn't a problem. But when the plant grew for centuries in the same land, this plant uh, have the memory of all the past years. So in the DNA of the plant, there is something which were built for centuries. And when we decide to graft, there is something which is modified and that produces a different wine. That's why for me, I'm really lucky because I have those. But it's not better than an ungrafted wine. Those two wines are just a part of what you've started in terms of single parcel champagnes. Yes. What are some of the others that you've decided to bottle by themselves? The problem with my village is there are so many differences between each plot that it could spend a, a, a lot of time. But luckily, my ancestors, with uh, this old history, uh, drew the limits between each parcel, Lyodi, and gave them a name. And we are transformed as grower into uh, like a father, a family father with many childs, which have each their own name. And it's fascinating because there is something which is more than the work, which is more than the respect of the plant. We are scared for those. And we need to take care and, uh, of each plant individually and not with the same just not with the same uh, intervention because they are all different. So that produces a work and an everyday life which is totally fascinant, fascinating. I don't know how to say. And that Murphy is like this because we are in a place where you have many geological uh, situations. On the bottom of the village, you have Tanisian sand, sand from the sea. Over it, you have a place which is quite not so slopey, I don't know how, how to tell, but you have many different subsoil types between clay to sandstone to a tufo, and that produces many different wines with the same men, with the same pruning system, with everything. So that's what's fascinating for me. It's to see that in the same village with only one man working, we will see many different wines. And that's the magic of the nature. And uh, so Murphy have many different plots, so produces many different wines. And that's for me the beginning of something which is really old, but that I try to re-understand. And it's fascinating to see that people now are curious about those differences and tries to understand the terroir, drinking 
two different Monier, for example, or two different Chardonnay from the same village, vinified by, by the same person in the same barrels, but with a different taste. Then you can understand the influence of the terroir on the wine. And in many cases, in fact, the barrels are local. You've actually got a local cooper. Now, yes. So I, I, I'm trying to, because there is the vineyard takes the sap from the subsoil. That's very important to focus on this because many people try to understand wine with the grape varieties. We are now trying to understand wine saying, I love Chardonnay, I love Pinot Noir. Okay, that's okay, but if the Chardonnay comes from Burgundy, from America, from Champagne, from the south of France, from everywhere, the Chardonnay will be totally different because the soil is different. And the differences are here if the wine grower takes care of the soil and respects the soil, do not compact the soil, etc. This soil feeds the plants in terms of mineral, in, in terms of, of salt, um, and that will produce a Chardonnay, which will have a taste of terroir. And then the terroir will have his own name, and the Chardonnay taste will disappear. For the barrels, it's the same. If you take a wood which comes from the same subsoil and soil, you will have a wood which will be fitted by the, the minerals coming from the same village. And I think it's important, especially if you consider in the US, for example, you have uh, some research about the concurrence between the plants in the forest. And it's fascinating to see that you have big trees and very small plants on the so just uh, above the trees or close to the big trees. We all know that to grow, a plant needs sun. But how those small plants could have sun with those big trees? And it's interesting that those researches shows us that there is a relation between the big trees and the small ones. The big trees capture the sun, produces sugar and gives it to the small plants. So there is a relation between the plants in the forest. So why couldn't be any relation between the vineyards and the global environment? That's why I think I feel important to respect where I'm born and where the plants are producing wine. As the farming gets better, the more distinctive the terroir can become in terms of bottlings. Like you may find that you could make several more different individual bottlings because you have farmed better. And at the same time, across those bottlings, it may be that the plants, in this case vines, are communicating in a way that we don't really understand. Yes, it makes a richness in terms of diversity, but it's something sometimes hard. If the man decided to blend or to make big bottling, it's certainly because it's much easier for them to sell one bottle in one quantity with one label. Uh, when you decide to make many different parcels, you make many different wines. So it's a totally different work from the press, from the work in the vineyard, to the press, to the bottling. So, um, but I think richness exists with the diversity. 
And in your country, it's something which shows us this. You have so many origins of people that your country is rich in terms of culture, of knowledge, of sharings, etc. It's the same. It's the same when you drink wine. If you only want to drink one label, uh, why not? That will be a good one, but the wine will certainly be prepared for you. If you drink many different wines, then I think you will be a bit richer, not in terms of money, but in terms of taste. And I think your life will be a bit happier because you will be able to share with many people about the different wines you have tasted, what you liked, what you didn't like, etc. So difference is important, diversity, and it's the same for a grower. I think it's important to respect each individual place to make people uh, understand, share, and drink. But in a way, also, you have about 12 hectares of vines, and mm -hmm. that's a, a amount where you might find a lot of difference inside of that amongst the parcels. Yes and no. Yes, that's true, because it's bigger, but my land is in the same village. So it's important when you decide to produce, uh, to produce wines from a specific terroir to have a minimum of a half hectare to produce a single parcel wine or sometimes to have one hectare because I have 12 hectares but the yields are low because I think it's important to respect not to push the vineyard too much to produce a wine. So it's important to have a land which isn't too small. If the land is small, it will be very difficult to produce a single parcel wine except if you own two hectares in the same place. But often, people who have a small um, quantity of land, they could have this in different terroirs, different villages. So it's hard to explain the specificities of each very small plot. Luckily, I have 12 hectares, which isn't large, but which is enough to make single parcel wine in my village. Which is kind of interesting because I guess in the same way that we think of, oh, it's a Chardonnay, it's a Chardonnay, it's a Chardonnay, that can be all the same, but maybe that's not true. There's also a history in Champagne of ranking by village. So Merfait has the 82% ranking. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, maybe in an earlier generation, the habit might have been to say, well, the fruit of Merfait is all the same. It's all 82%. But it seems like your endeavor and your activity is really to find the distinctions in that village. It's that's not about this. Uh, uh, yes, Murphy isn't uh, is now rated at 80 percent. We will say to make it easier. But the thing is that in Murphy we have many different plots, and before the ancestors were able to say, in our village, we have Grand Cru Parcel, which are this one, this one, and this one. Those are Premier Cru, and those are other Cru. That's important to understand the terroir. Now, to make it easier to understand, we decided to make 100% village cru, 100%. So, Murphy is have Grand Cru Parcel, Premier Cru Parcel, and Other Cru Parcel. And that's what I try to understand every day. And that's what I try to share with people. But it's important to research the definition of the terroir and communication, industry, 
obliges us now to produce a wine which comes from one place and which is easy to understand, I wish I will never make it and I wish I will only respect my terroir to share it with people who are curious about wine. Your family domain began in 1920 and then your mother assumed control in 1978 and then you in about 2006. And I guess one of the interesting things about yourself is that you seem to have made some changes fairly quickly and also we just are starting to see those being released into the market. So here in America, we're just starting to maybe glimpse what you've been up to because we're starting to see the releases from 6, 7, 8, 9 that were in a way early days for you, but it takes a while to get champagne to the market after aging. Yes, that's that's something which is, imagine as a grower, you make the work and then you have to wait six, seven years to share it with people. So... Now I see the changes I've made earlier, but it's something very important. For me, all the changes were important, but first the work in the vines were the most important thing to have a wine which is rich in terms of minerals, taste, wine. And um, I think it's not only in the US, but for me, I discover many wines after an aging, and I'm really happy to. It's um, it's something very interesting, and um, my work have changed a lot. And I think my parents now, at the beginning, that was hard because when you decide to grow with horse, to use sheep, to top the usings of herbicides, and when you are 22 and you say to your 20 um, year experience father no, we'll stop the herbicides. It's very hard because um, I didn't have any experience. And now we're all happy to see the changes in terms of wine. And I think it's only a beginning because wine takes time and uh, the changes are quite encouraging. Encouraging, encouraging sure. It seems like just from a broad perspective, one thing that you could say is that the wines seem denser and more powerful now the fruit seems more present whether that be because there's no filtering or that be because you're using cover crops and not herbicides or are you picking later do you find that you're tend to be picking more mature fruit than your parents may have uh, i think yeah but those every detail is important so it's from the pruning for example beginning with the pruning we reduce i reduced the amount of the yield, the yield in each parcel. Then the crop are very important and certainly one of the most important things to begin. And every detail is important. So for example, the yeast, if we want to respect the place, we need to respect the yeast of the place. So if you want to taste a wine which comes from, I don't know, from a village in Nepal, you need to taste a wine which were fermented by the yeast from Napa and not the yeast from another place. It's the same in my village. So every detail in the vine have made changes. And the root orientation also helped the plant to produce something interesting. And all the details, so from the crop, the pruning, the aeration of the plant, the late picking, 
compared to my neighbor. But finally, it's only a picking at the perfect ripeness, perfect, uh, well, the very good ripeness. But those are very old things. And every grower for centuries in Champagne knew how to pick the grapes. Now it changed. But I think it's important to touch the exact ripeness to produce wine. And after, once we press the grapes, um, the vinification is different too. So no yeast, no filtration. Uh, the barrels arrived at home. Um, but so many things that it's difficult to say, especially one thing. The only thing to understand is that it's only the respect of the vines, the vineyards and the plants who helps me have something which is rich like this. Did you change the press cycles on the different wines that you make? Yes, I, I've changed the press at home. The actual press change? Yes, it's very important to press. And the, press the press is fundamental because... When you worked during one year, when you pick up the grapes by hand, when you make a very big selection during the picking, the press is the final thing for the nature. And if you work a lot in the vine and you forgive that the press will be the final thing to obtain the purest wine, then you, you lose all the efforts you have made before. So yes, I've changed the press system to obtain juices, which are maybe a, a little bit thinner and um, which respects a little bit more the grapes to obtain the yeast, to obtain all the phenolics in wine. But you wanted to retain phenolics. You wanted more of that, what you might have found from the skins. And yeah, I, th I think in the nature, if you have something, please just skip it. it it's not. Uh, it's important to have it. That's how I feel about my own hair. <laughs> exactly like but that. But you have some. <laughs> Please, if I could just keep it. And, you know, that's, that's so true. And it's the same with the filtration. Why does people filtrate the wine? Because it's much more easy after. But I prefer to keep the wine rich. Because if I worked during one year in my vines, it's not to modify my, my wine at the end during the vinification process. No. I'm very proud of my what the, the plants gave me. And I think, I wish people will be able to taste it in their glass. I so, think it's clear for yeah, me. Exactly. I mean, the St. Anne somewhat, you know, it's changed. Mm. I think the Fiacra somewhat, mm -hmm. but the single parcel, mm. you know, which didn't exist. But that seems like something different to me than what I thought of as Chardon and Taillé yeah. for me. Yeah, but it's not my fault. Oh, I'm not blaming yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, if it's good, it's the vineyard fault because uh, they have things to say. They have things to say. And I'm not responsible of the quality of the wine. It's easy for me to say this because uh, I say this when it's good, but I also say this if it's bad. So it's not my fault if it's bad. <laughs> and I, no. I read one quote where you said it was more of concern to you that the farming be good than the, the wines be good. Is mm. that something you think? The, the, the farming and the wine are both uh, integrated, are both the same. So for me, for a grower, it's something... Uh, I'm, I'm not an analogist. I'm not a wine drinker. Um, yes, I am, but uh, not so much. That's not my role. My role is only to 
take care of land and take care of some plants. And I'm not the judge. And I wish nobody is a judge because sometimes we need judge, but when someone have made a fault, an error, I wish my wines or the result of my vineyard's work isn't an error. So if people drink it, when they will drink it, I do not want them to judge them, but maybe only to try to understand what they try to say. That's something curious, but uh, that's like for childs. Uh, we all have, the people who have child, children uh, don't want uh, other people to judge the children, but only to understand what they have to say. If you judge without trying to understand what they begin to say, then there is something missing and they will be blocked and they will stop um, their evolution. So uh, wine is really rich and judgment is for the end. So we are between the judgment and the birth. So Sometimes I feel that the person you studied and worked with and some solosis judged harshly by folks who would rather not understand. Yeah, but people don't know, uh, the people who makes it don't know Anselm. Anselm is a man who never judge anybody, who only tries to work his vine, his wine, etc. He He's a simple genius. He only work in his vineyard, in his cellar, and produces his wines. And the people who judge him are certainly people who are a bit closed, who expect something from his wines, and uh, who are blind in front of his wines. Anselm is a very sensible man, and I think it's certainly the man who spent the most time to produce his wines in a natural way. So we need to understand this man and never judge him, because... I think the people who will begin to understand Anselm's work will understand something which is fascinating. He's really some someone who is more than wine and vineyard. He is um, the one who helps you understand what Avis, what Lemenil, what Cramont, what all those places gives in terms of wine. How did you meet him? I, I met him first in my mother Sarah. But not the men, only the bottles. I was passionate passionated by his wines. And the first time I called him, I was totally stressed because he was, he was something, uh, someone who was for me uh, more than a wine grower. And I called him and he welcomed me very friendly. And that surprised me because he was not a star, but something like. And, um, I, I met him in 2006 first, and that was our first uh, contact. And I wish it will never end because he's now a friend, and he has so many things to share and so many good moments to spend that I'm happy to share those moments with a, a great guy, a great man like him. So you asked to work for him? Yes, sure. I asked to work for him. And... um now I think I'm lucky to to have this experience with him in terms of uh, work in his cellar, in his vineyards, etc. Were there particular realizations that you had while you were working for him in terms of 
technique, whether that be farming or in the winery, that you realize something special? Curiosity uh, is something which that he gave me. He isn't sure of things, but he always tries to discover um, the result of the nature, the grapes, the plants, etc. And this curiosity is something he gave me. And that's something which transformed my work, but also transformed my life every day. Because I do not expect anything from the wines. And thanks to this, the wines are free to say to me much more things than if I was blind or expecting something which isn't my wines, in my wines. Being open to what the wines do as opposed to determining that for them. Exactly. We, we aren't producing a wine. We are receiving a wine from the grapes, from the nature. We will never ameliorate a wine with the vinification. We only obtain a wine from the nature. And then our only role is to try to continue and to translate this wine in the glass. So we only need to protect, not too much, the wine to be able to say something to the end. And that's exactly like the education of a child. A steward rather than a, a creator, in a way. I'm not, I, I'm definitely not a creator, yeah. It's, um, our work is only to accompagner, so to follow to accompany, I don't know if we say that, but to accompany the, the vineyards and to accompany the wines and to try to understand. And um, that's, for example, at home, at the beginning, I wanted to understand each parcel. That's why I bought barrels, but also some concrete. And I also have some stainless steel because each parcel needs to be open and each is different, so some are... Um, so each has its own lock and you have to use a different key to open it. Exactly. Or, or maybe it's like a house. I'm living in a village and you live uh, in New York. Uh, that's something different. If you go and live in my village in Murphy, I'm quite sure you will feel sad after two weeks because you will not have all the comfort you have here and for me it's the same I live in Murphy and when I arrive in New York that's fascinating but it's too large for me and uh, I you're saying that we aren't nice here is that what <laughs> <laughs> we are only different we're a bunch of jerks <laughs> we are only different I understand, I understand. And, and for my wine it's the same sometimes some wines I think appreciates to be in the barrel because they are open-minded, they aren't stressed, they have many things to say, and then they are able to resist to the outside and to the oxygen. But some are a little bit more shy, and then I think uh, concrete is a good place to be for them. That's a discovery. That's what only the, my understanding of each wine is different from year to year. Uh, and that's why it's my responsibility to adapt the house for each wine. You found that some varieties on some parcels with some sorts of farming and some sort of vine age did differently in different sorts of vessels in the winery. Yes, definitely. 
Yes, but I do not have any answer to give because this nature is way too rich and I have so many things to discover that if I was giving you an answer about a great variety, uh, a place, a sand, a clay, etc., um, that couldn't be a good answer. I have so many things to discover that my life is too short to have an exact answer. That's why savoir-faire is important and that's why I, I wish in 200 years the next generations will have a little bit more to say than me. But I'm only trying to discover and I think uh, as many growers are trying to discover in the region. At what point did you decide that wine was what you wanted to do as a career? As a wine lover, I think when you are luckily the son of a grower, you understand that your life is a gift. Is a gift because you receive everything from the past generation, from your parents who received it from your grandparents, etc. So I began to work outside home, not in wine. And one day I understood that my life was something different and that my responsibility was to uh, continue the history of the diary of my ancestors. And I was also really curious about the wine we could obtain in my village. So, But I guess I would ask why. Like what happened to make you start to move in that direction? Hmm. I understand why it's fascinating, but yeah. why for you did it become an urgency? I, I can't tell. I can't tell because the... Uh, we, we name it a déclic, like um, you see someone in the, something in the sky who comes very quickly, like a screen, and that's what like what a comet. Yeah, exactly. It's that's what happens in your life. You have something like this, oh. and then you begin to ask you many questions. When you go to sleep, you say, "What am I doing here? I could be there, and I have so many things to discover and to share with many people." and uh, that's what happened. Do you think if there had been someone else strongly trying to translate Murphy that you would have as well? Or do you feel what was necessary was that someone became more involved with the terroir? I think both, because it's important to understand and nobody began. Uh, my parents were producing wine, but historically, you know how it worked in Champagne. We had the First World War, the Second World War, where everything were, was very difficult for the growers. So the real history of wine growing in the region for small growers came back after the Second World War. So my grandparents decided to rebuild the house, the cellar, to replant the vines. Then my parents uh, continued to produce wine, to understand a little bit more, uh, also to share it with many people around the world. I'm lucky because my parents have made a big, big work also in your country. It's funny to see that people sometimes know Chartan Taillé uh, here in New York, which is uh, an enormous city and a fascinating city for all the French people. And now I continue and nobody tried to understand Murphy like this. So it's a new door which is open in front of me. And I wish in the whole region people will try also to recognize and to understand their terroir and that they will share it 
in all the Champagne region. One of the things I've heard Salos say is that what he really enjoys in Champagne is, is the mouthfeel as opposed to the aromatics. He's more concerned with the mouthfeel of the wine. Is this something that you feel as well? Yeah, definitely. It's That's something which is passionating. He says something in French. Uh, you have the organic and the mineral. The organic part is the fruit, uh, the grape variety, and the mineral is in the soil, in the subsoil, in the sap. And you can have exactly the same material in terms of grape variety from different regions. The difference, the real difference, comes from the subsoil and the soil. So if you are tasting something which is only fruity, without any texture, then you will have a wine which will not be recognizable or which will not be representative from the place. That's why I think and I feel important that when you live with the wine, you have to trust the wine and to ha to let the wine make his own way on air with the oxygen. And then the grape variety, so the organic part, will disappear a little bit and you will feel the mineral part. And that's something fascinating. It's not only about fruit, it's not only about grape variety, but it's more about saltiness, about bitterness, about something which really comes from the subsoil and from the very specific place where you have your own vineyards. So air acts as an enabler. The oxygen acts as a catalyst for that to happen. Yes. In the vineyard, that's the most important thing. First, to respect all the life which is in the subsoil. Uh, you have many different microorganisms living. And when you are using heavy machines or when you use herbicides or pesticides, you break the balance, the equilibre of the subsoil and of the life of the soil. That's why it's very important for a grower to respect the soil, to avoid the compaction. Uh, and then you will have this in your grape and in your f juices and wine. After, if you work without air, I think it could be sometimes um, something reducing or la réduction, something which closes your wine and uh, which produces shy wines with only grape variety taste or things like this. So texture is fundamental and fruits are good, fruits are friendly to taste, but texture is another world and I think it's interesting when people taste wine that they begin to understand that texture is real a sensibility that they need to obtain or to develop. And um, la texture des vins, so the, the texture in your mouth is something which uh, develops the sense, so the feelings, and that's something important when you taste wine. Because it can kind of activate your own senses in terms of your mouth can start to change. Exactly. Exactly. You have so many texture in your mouth that after you will have a mouth which will be much more sensible, sensible to many things. And that's something fascinating. And uh, that's why it's the table, the wine, the food are things which needs to be respected. And sometimes it's good to sit around the table to feel what you have in your mouth and to 
smell what you have in your glass, like this, you will develop your senses and, and life will be much richer, much more dynamic, energetic. Everything will be better. If you eat uh, when you walk, you will take care of everything except what you have in your mouth. And after you will have tasted it, you will forgive. You will forgive because it, that was quick. Uh, you need to have open your sense to be opened, to understand the texture. And that's something people can share when they drink. And that's something which is really important, I think, for the future of wine. Coming from a texture approach, some things that I've found that can affect texture but often aren't thought of as textural are sulfur and dosage in different ways. Mm -hmm. And that sulfur tends to make a texture that is leaner and more compact and more removed, further away from the tongue in a way. And dosage tends to bring up the fruit and make the texture softer. Have you altered your approach to those two topics to bring out more of the texture that you're looking for or that you're happy to see? Yes, that that's true, that both are very important. I will give you an answer about sulfur. Sulfur is something I decide, and uh, I feel obliged to say that I'm quite happy to reduce the sulfates because if you judge a wine as a living part of uh, the nature, you need to reduce the sulfates. Uh, so I use some. But if the wine needs some, I put some, and that's okay. The second part about the dosage, so the sugar added, added during the disgorgement, there is something which is important to understand. It's that for me, the wine grower follow the wines until the disgorgement. And the dosage trail is something important. And I always feel happy to share it with many people around the world. And often I share it with sommeliers, chefs, or also uh, some people who are used to drink champagne and some who aren't like this. A tasting of different dosage. Exactly. Every dosage, we taste the dosage together, all together from many different origins. And then it's always, it's a discussion. And it's something which is fascinating because everybody agree for one or two dosage. So dosage is something which is important. Zero dosage isn't the only rule, but uh, we need really to be careful about dosage. So texture and dosage is something which is important. But when you make a dosage tasting, you see that the dosage and the wine uh, goes well if the wine grower takes care of the, the amount of dosage he will put in the bottle. In terms of farming, it would seem that picking later would mean that you could use less dosage because you would have riper fruit. Are there things that you do in terms of the farming that would mean that would, you would use less sulfur? Are there things that you actually do in the vineyard that later imply that you can use less sulfur? Um, I, I think that the, fr from the beginning of the harvest, it's important to go quick because when you pick up the grapes, you need to be really quick. That's why I'm working always with a large team like this. From the first movement of picking to the end of picking in the harvest, in, in the parcel, um, the time will be very short. 
like this, the oxidation of each grape will be reduced. Then the press needs to be made just after, and la cu the, the wine goes in the cuvée very quickly. If the people are waited, waiting before the press, then there are more risks and they will be obliged to put more sulfur, sulfates. And every detail is important, but when you plow your vineyards, when you respect your soil and subsoil, when you respect your grapes, then it's way easier in terms of quantity of sulfates, but also in terms of everything. The wine is stronger and uh, it's very important to let the wine alone without modification. If you modify your wine, then you will have problems. He will be not so strong and he could be uh, have disease, etc. So he will need more and more and more sulfates, but also many things to modify him. I feel like in a short period of time, of your being at back at the domain, a number of changes have happened. Going forward in the future, are there experiments that we haven't yet seen, trials that we don't know about, or ideas that you have that you'd like to implement that may be on your own mind? I make many experiments, but it's uh, I see now pe many people talking about, I'm doing this, and I'm the first one to make this. So I'm happy to say, and please buy my wines because I'm the first one to do this. So yes, I make, and I've made many things which are totally new in the region. And some are certain, produced certainly not so good wines and some produced very good wines. Uh, but that will be a surprise for me. And I will decide to release those wines once I will taste those. So for the moment, I'm, the wines are in the cellar and I will discover those. So you are welcome if you come. We'll taste those together. But that's, I do not want to talk too much about how I've made the wine because that's not something interesting, uh, which interests me the way they are produced. I only wish when you will taste the wine, you will recognize something which comes from the vineyards, not from the vinification. And you will say, whoa, you have something which is really special. Uh, like if you have a very specific son or daughter, you will be proud of his difference or her difference. It's the same for the wines. If you could recognize my wines in a blind tasting, that will mean that the nature I own produced something that you can identify and that's something which will make me happy. But it's not Alexandre Chartogne or uh, the vinification who produced this taste that will be only the part of the nature, the vineyard, the subsoil, the soil and the life in my parcels. Alexander Sartania, he's willing to be surprised and he's looking for a recognition of nature. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Alexander Sartania of Sartania and Taille. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com. 
which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening. While I was doing background research for this interview, I used Peter Lean's ChampagneGuide.net, which was very helpful in developing questions that I later asked. I would recommend that site to you if you're interested in this producer or if you're just interested in learning more about champagne.